0: Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Fantastic. We're glad to be here here in Western North Carolina. My first trip to the mountains. You know, I've been through the mountains going to Missouri for uh, missionary training and stuff, but I've never actually been in the mountains. So, we're enjoying it here. It's awesome. We just happen to be uh, staying right there by where the fireworks were, so we were got to see the fireworks. It's awesome. God has just provided again and again for us in spite of what the nation is going through in spite of what people seem to be going through, and in spite of what we're going through, He just continues to bless and pour out His Spirit on us, and just to help us, and we're just here. We're going to bless you and, and kind of share what God has done in our lives um, up to this point, and we hope you're encouraged. Um, my name is Kevin Thompson. I am a missionary, but I wasn't always a missionary. My wife, Mariah, you'll get a chance to meet her as well. Um, I grew up in Sanford, North Carolina. Show of hands, anybody ever heard of Sanford? Everybody been to Sanford? Okay, a lot less people have been to Sanford. That's good reason, good reason. But Sanford is what I call home. Um, I spent a good portion of my life there, and it's where I fell into sin most. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. It was broken. My, my family was divorced when I was a small child. But my mom, she loved the Lord. She loved the Lord with all her heart. And she got breast cancer when I was just a baby. And so she wanted me more than anything to come to faith in Christ, as most praying parents and grandparents do. They want their children and their grandchildren to come to faith in Christ, to love Christ, and to come into eternity with them. But my mom, she was zealous. She was pushy, if you will. And I love my mother. Um, she's gone to be with the Lord, but she... She just knew what she wanted me to do with my life, and I could not handle it. And I had a real Jonah experience in it. At 12 years old, I began to use drugs and alcohol. Um, By 15, I was a full-blown alcoholic, and my life was radically out of control. Bad relationships, that is really what comes with it. Obviously, lying and stealing, those are side effects of addiction, lying and stealing. I was habitual. It's the life that I had chosen. You couldn't talk me out of it. My life was radically out of control. At 22 years old, I moved 2,742 miles from front door to front door to get away from Jesus. How many know that doesn't work? I wanted nothing to do with Jesus. I wanted nothing to do with the Lord that my mom proclaimed because I saw the Christians that she hung out with. She married a pastor and 15 days later he was nowhere to be found. So I saw Christians. I was raised with Christians and I knew that that wasn't the person I wanted to be. I would rather be a drug, alcohol, a drug addict than an alcoholic than to be what these people were standing for. And I, I was just blinded. I was, My eyes were darkened. It says the prince of the power of the air has blinded their eyes so they cannot see. And that was me in a nutshell. I was blinded from it. Well, my mother, she passed away in 2014, and she never saw me come to faith. She never saw me come to faith. I had... Moved to California, I was getting worse and worse and worse, getting involved in all kinds of gang activity and things. My life was radically out of control. She passed away at 2014 and I come back to North Carolina. Okay, I come back to North Carolina and I met with her pastor. They were having a memorial service and he told me of Jesus and he talked about her service and what they were going to be doing and I spit in his face and I cursed at him. I threatened to attack him physically. I wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Absolutely nothing. And I was so angry and so bitter to the Lord. Not to the individual, but to the Lord. I was so bitter. And my life it just continued to get worse and worse and worse. And I ended up in the hospital, and a chaplain came to me, and he gave me a book. It was called Hope and Anchor for the Soul. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't understand it, but I read it. I wanted something to do. I read this book when I finished the book there was a salvation message at the end of it I finished the book on April the 28th 2015 and I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior for the very first time ever in my entire life genuinely converted to faith in Christ amen I didn't tell you the best part I got saved in the room where my mother passed away in the very room where she died she never saw me come to faith in Christ and if you read through Hebrews chapter 11, it is story after story after story of people who had a promise that did not see it come to fruition. People who did not see what they were believing God for in a physical, tangible way, but God was faithful and He delivered in Hebrews 11, He tells you. And my wife, my mother never saw me come to faith in Christ. And I stand here and I tell you, in Ezekiel 22, verse 30, the Lord says that He searched for someone to stand in the gap on behalf of a nation so that he would not destroy, and he found no one. And I tell you, I would not be here if it was not for my praying mother. The prayers of a mother are powerful and effective. And I guarantee there are people in this room who are dealing with addictions in their family. Addictions do not only encounter the people who are addicted, but families are destroyed because of it. And I encourage you to pray. That is your first challenge today. To continue to pray for them because there may be no one else praying for them. They need you. They need your prayers indeed. And so I had an unshakable addiction. I could not shake it. I got saved, yes. My life was changed, yes. But I still craved sin. I still craved after the things of the world. The lust of the eyes and the pride of life. I craved after these things. I desired them more than life itself. Even knowing that Jesus Christ died for me. I craved after these things. I've heard many stories. My wife will tell you a story of her life and how she come out of addiction, where people's minds were literally cleansed with no desire to get higher, anything of that nature immediately happened. But that is not the way it worked for me. There was something that I needed. There was something that I needed in order to live the life of Christ, to begin the walk with Christ. And I met with the the same pastor who I, I yelled at. I met with him and he told me of a program. This program is called Teen Challenge. Mm. He told me about Teen Challenge. Teen Challenge, I went to Sand Hills Adult and Teen Challenge out in Carthage, North Carolina with Sal DeBianca, not here in Smoky Mountains, um, although I will be there tomorrow. Um, I, was, I joined in the program uh, in 2015, and it is where discipleship was really founded in my life. I needed discipleship. Someone to point me and walk me in the right direction to get on with my life. Any musical instrument up here, any of them, especially the drums. You cannot read a book and figure out how to play the drums. You need someone to sit beside. You need to watch a video. You need someone to walk with you and to help you to understand to do these things. You cannot read a manual and learn to drive a Toyota. You need someone to teach you these things. Yes, the Bible, it is our basic instructions before leaving earth. It is the guidebook that tells us how we need to live our lives. But it is so confusing to new believers. They need someone to come alongside them and disciple them and to spend intimate time with them. While I was in the program, I discovered a verse and it hit me like a ton of bricks, like I had never heard it before in my entire life. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I'm with you to the very end of the age. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. I had never heard it before, but it said that we needed to make disciples and that we have to teach them to obey. That they're not just going to figure it out on our own. We cannot. It says in Hebrews chapter 5 that Jesus Himself learned obedience through the things that He suffered. He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. We need someone to teach us these things. Teach us the wisdom of God and how to apply it to our lives. And that is what it is to make disciples. I had never knew what this meant, but I saw it lived out in the Teen Challenge program before I ever read it in the Bible. I saw it lived out. I saw the fruit of it. I saw the effect of it. And church, I tell you, you cannot be effectively discipled on a Sunday morning. It is doing life with somebody. Intimately doing life and going through the struggles of life that they go through with them. Encouraging them and lifting them up. And being with them daily. Daily is an investment. Jesus told us to pick up our cross and follow Him. Paul said that I die daily. These things were people who knew what it took to make disciples. Jesus invested three and a half years in twelve men that shook the world. Three and a half years. I know people my age that aren't dedicated enough to eat a whole bag of chips at one time. A generation that truly can eat only one Pringle. These people are not dedicated to friendships and lasting relationships. It's like like dust in the wind. We must be dedicated to see people come to faith in Christ. Yes, I challenge you to pray for your loved ones who are in addiction, but invest your time in them. Invest your time in them, yes. While I was in the Teen Challenge program, I discovered what it was to be a Christian and to make disciples. So when I discovered that and I knew what my life was, it was radically out of control before. I needed, I was not only radically lost and radically saved, but I needed a radical example. I needed someone who could teach me to live these things out. And we see this in the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, if you'll turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. That was my intro. I hope you have time. No, I'm sure the pastor won't let me stay up here long. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We see Paul lived out the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19 is the Great Commission. But the book of Acts is it lived out. We see people throughout the book of Acts living out the Great Commission. In Acts chapter 9, Paul's radical conversion from Saul to Paul. He was radically converted. And we see him living out his life in the 13 epistles that he wrote us. We read in 1 Timothy 1, verse 12 is where we will pick up. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength and that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of the Lord was poured out on me abundantly with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. For that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus may display His immense patience as an example for those who would believe in Him and receive eternal life. As an example, we see the chief of sinners, the worst of sinners, was made an example for people like me to come in and to live out the things that God had commanded us to do. He was my example. The Apostle Paul, the chief of sinners. Surely he'd done more horrendous things than I ever done. He was my example. What did he do? And how can I implement it in my own life? Paul's desire was to go and to preach Christ where he was not yet named. I had discovered while I was in the Teen Challenge program something called the Voice of the Martyrs and that there are Christians in countries all over this world that are killed for their faith. Killed for simply believing in something that everyone else thinks is crazy. Simply killed for their faith. And it shook me. I didn't understand it. But then I continued to search and look, and I discovered something called the 1040 window. The 1040 window is an area of the globe. It's the 10 degree latitude and the 40 degree latitude where the, hot, the gospel is hostile. They're hostile against the gospel. They do not let you proclaim the name of Jesus. The country where my wife and I are going to live is Cameroon. And in this country, it is in the very bottom of the 1040 window. The very top of Cameroon reaches up into it with a heavy Muslim population where Christians are kidnapped and killed for their faith in this very country we're going to. I discovered the 1040 window, and I began to pray every day for a different country within the 1040 window. It includes countries like Iraq, Iran. All of China is in the 1040 window. And a large percentage of northern Africa is in it. And I began to pray every night, God, what would You have me do? And I don't know if it was ignorance or obedience, but it was, here I am, Lord, send me a willing vessel to go to the unreached people, to proclaim the name of Christ where He had not yet been known. A chief of sinner, a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man, to go and be willing to go. That's all it took. And I began to pray every night for these countries, and I never left the continent of Africa. My heart was stuck steadfast on the people of Africa. I could not shake them. The unreached people in Africa. There are 899 million people in Africa that don't know Jesus. You thought that was the entire population. It's not. That's just the ones that don't know Jesus. Many of them are never reached people that have never even had a chance to hear because they're violent. Because they refuse to hear. They do not allow Christians to come to these places. These never reached places. My heart was stuck. On the continent of Africa and I prayed and I fasted And I said God where would you have me go and he said to wait to wait and I waited I finished the program I began to work there I, be- I began an internship at a local church where I met my wife I met her she was the mission person match made in heaven I met her five months later we were married and sent to the mission field shortly thereafter within a year we were on the field we knew that God had called us to something greater than ourselves and we were willing to sacrifice life and limb to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. God has called us to this. See, we see in the life of Paul, he said in Acts Acts 20, verse 24, he says that... Oh, I don't have it. Oh, I do. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the task the Lord has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He counted his life as nothing. He studied for years to be a Pharisee. And he counted it as nothing, as dung. Disregarded it entirely. Because he knew what cost it would take to see people reached for Christ. To see people reached for Christ. He knew what it would take. He said things like in 2 Corinthians 5.15 that Christ died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them. That we should no longer live for ourselves. That we should sacrifice our lives to see people reached for Christ. That it is a daily thing. Making disciples. We are called to make disciples. You have it posted on your wall right outside. Make disciples. You are a mission-centered church. We make disciples. We evangelize the lost. It's on your website. Evangelism. Go out and reach your community for Christ. I love to see it when I go to a church and they are adamant about reaching the lost. Adamant about reaching the lost and willing to do whatever it takes. We are not here for financial gain. We are not here to stack up treasures on this earth, but to accomplish the purpose the Lord has given us. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about you. God has a purpose for us. To make disciples and to reach His redemptive purpose for mankind. He has a desire that all will come to Christ. The song you sang, it said, my heart has been in your sights before my first breath. That's not for us. His heart for the nations. He knew each and every person. 3.5 million lost in Cameroon. He knows each one of them intimately before they were born and exactly what it would take. He knew that it would take a handful of people from Trinity Church in Franklin, North Carolina, to come to them on a Saturday afternoon in the blazing 120 degree heat to just mention the name Jesus, and that's all it would take. We are called to go. If he knows exactly what it will take for each and every person, and we do not heed the call, we hinder his plan. It's very simple. If you do not heed the call, you hinder His plan. When you are in the supermarket and God is calling you to minister to somebody, to go beside them and pray with them, even if they spit and disregard you or hate you or slander your name or anything, God knows exactly what it's going to take. And He led you in that direction for them to come to Christ. We have to obey the call that God has placed on our lives to pick up our cross. Not just as a missionary. Not just as a missionary, but as a disciple. We are called to make disciples. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, famous theologian around the Nazi era, he had a quote. He said, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. It is not a flippant task. You cannot do it when you have free time. I had a dear friend of mine, I've known since since I was in my sin, in my addictions. He called me last night. As I was praying and trying to work out what I was going to say up here today, He called me in the night. He was asking for help. Me and my wife, we, we make it a point to disciple people in our community. Because if we will not disciple them here, then we should not go. If we're not adamant about doing it here, we will not do it there. If I come here and I don't tell you to make disciples, then I should not go to Africa and tell them to make disciples. We want to raise up nationals. But I had my friend, he called me last night, and he he wanted to know how he could change his life. What he could really do to change his life. And I've done the only thing I can. I cannot fix him. I cannot change him. I just point him to the one that changed me. That's all I'm called to do. That is making a disciple. That is going alongside him and helping him and raising him up. Making a disciple. We see Paul doing this throughout his life. One main text that we're going to focus on here today before we transition. Acts chapter 19. If you're taking notes, I hope you really take this to heart. Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 is an encounter with Paul in Ephesus. The very first part, we're going to read verse 1 to 10. Paul in Ephesus. This is what it looks like to make disciples. This is our example. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some believers. And he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Paul said, what baptism did you receive? And they replied, John's baptism. Paul said this baptism was only of repentance, and he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that they believe in Jesus. On hearing this, the people were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Baptized them. When Paul placed his hands, they spoke in tongues, and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they prophesied. There were 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, arguing persuasively, sometimes that's what it takes, about the kingdom of God. But some people became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left. He took the disciples with him. And he had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. He found some believers, asked them what they're believing, baptized them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, laid hands on them for, the, for them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, empowerment for witness. He baptized them in the Holy Spirit, and then He went in to teach. Using these same disciples, they began to teach other people If you want to learn something, teach it to someone else. If you really want to understand what you believe, teach it. He had them teaching people daily. These disciples had problems. People were obstinate, refusing to believe, angry. People were mad. And he had to be with these disciples, encouraging them and lifting them up and spending intimate time with them, discipling them to go through this tough season. And it got too much and he left. The disciples weren't taking it, so he left. And he went to another place for two years, investing time into these people. Not only the twelve that he was with, but the overall church indeed. He spent two years with them, discipling them, until of all of Asia heard the word of the Lord. I tell you, all of Asia at this time had an estimated 3.5 million people in it. With a handful of Disciples. A handful of local believers is what it took. The local church has always been God's chosen vessel for redeeming mankind. Always. The missionary comes in, he lifts up the local church, and they equip the people to do the work of ministry. That is what the local church was designed to do. To reach their community. I tell you, in this place today, there are more than enough people in here to encounter Franklin with the gospel of Jesus Christ so that all in Franklin hear the word of the Lord. All of them have a chance to hear. I tell you now, there are enough people in this room that all of Africa could hear the word of the Lord. If we would only be dedicated to the task. My life was dedicated to many different things. All or nothing. My life must be dedicated to reaching the lost for Christ. It must be. It was Paul's task. It shall be mine as well. So my wife and I, we knew what it would take and what cost it would take. We counted the cost long ago. Our family, my parents, parents want grandkids. We ain't got no kids. Our parents, they're they're killing us. They want grandkids. But we knew the cost. And in effect, it made my dad know the cost as well. He knows that we may not have grandbabies. But he knows that we are called to much more than life in America. That we are called to something greater. And many people in this room are not available, are not able to go to the unreached places of the earth. But there is a way that you can support the work of the ministry. And you do it with the 15 missionaries that you have on your wall out there. You support the work of the ministry by giving financially and through your prayers. I'm only 28 years old. I intend to spend the next 30 years of my life in Africa. I need prayer. Either I come to my senses or I do the work. Pray one way or the other. (laughs) But we need prayer. We need people to stand in the gap on our behalf and to call out to the Lord of the harvest that we will be encouraged and emboldened to this great task. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.2, he said, The things that you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will be able to teach others. So we entrust the message to you today to teach someone else. The second challenge. My first was to pray for the lost. The second one is to go and teach someone else. One. Teach one. If you come in here on Sunday and you leave and you don't do anything with it, then you have missed the point entirely. You must go on Monday to the workplace, to the marketplace, to your friends and your family with the message of Jesus Christ and His love for them. We have a tall task ahead of us. We cannot leave this earth without reaching one for Christ. One for Christ. We knew that it would cost so much, and me and my wife have prayed and fasted, and God has made a way for us to go to Cameroon, which is in Central Africa. It is located on the hinge of Africa. The hinge of Africa located directly beside Nigeria. Directly beside Nigeria. Many people have not heard of Cameroon. It is directly beside Nigeria. Fifteen unreached people groups that are there. Fifteen that don't have a chance without the gospel message. Fifteen people groups with millions of people in them. And Jesus knows every one of them by name and how many hairs are on their head. And He cares for them intimately. Intimately just like He cares for us. He will protect us as we go. These people groups have names like Fulani and the Bagara. Some of these people are violent to Christians. There is a militant force in Nigeria that comes into Cameroon and kidnaps people and employs the Fulani to kill Christians. It is what they do. It's a heavy Muslim population up in the northern area, and it is closed right now for travel. So we pray also that the doors and windows be open for us to travel into northern Cameroon as we arrive. It's been closed now for two years that we can't travel up there because of the violence and the danger, and now more because of coronavirus. But we see in Acts chapter 19, the only way that we can reach the 3.5 million people in Cameroon is to raise up the local church. To raise up those who are there to reach the people in their own culture with their own heart language. It's a French nation. Cameroon is a French nation. So we go and we train the nationals to go and to reach the people in the other 29 countries in Africa that speak French. To raise them up and go and to make disciples. To perpetuate making disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who invest their lives and give everything for the cross. AGWM, Assemblies of God World Mission, has commissioned us and sent us out on a two-year period. We will be gone for two years in Cameroon, training under local missionaries so that I can stop putting my shoe in my mouth every time I speak. I need someone to teach me what I need to say. It's not like training people here in America. We have silly issues like not enough data on my phone, They have crazy issues that they're going through. And we need someone to train us, to teach us to ride the bike and go to the places no one has gone before. We need to train under them. These missionaries have been there since 2012. AGWM has sent missionaries since 1914. It is a great way to go. If you have a desire to go, AGWM is the way. They will make a way for you to get to wherever God is calling you. I don't care if it's in Africa Asia, anywhere. God can make a way if He is calling you. You are more than capable. So we'll be there with Ben and Michelle Dunlap, who've been there since 2012. We will plant churches where they do not exist, and we will nurture the church where it is young. There are churches in Cameroon, but they are going through much. In, in Africa, in Cameroon specifically, you're required to plant a church before you can attend seminary. So we have to come in. When you plant a church, you become really busy. And you can't go to seminary. So we'll be traveling to many churches and homes where they cannot meet in a building like this. They have to meet in a home or under a tree. And we'll train pastors to train up other leaders, to train up missionaries. We're going to work with the church. I'm a preacher. I must go where I can preach. I will go and enable and encourage and lift up the local people to go to places where we cannot go at all. When you go to certain countries in Africa with a blue passport, it is a red flag. The US passport is a flag in many countries. So we have to send them because they can go to places where we are not allowed. We must train up them much as we have trained you as well. In the value of discipleship. Teaching them one-on-one and in their homes. We'll teach them the principles that radically changed our lives in raising up missionaries, because there's no other way to reach 899 million people. I cannot do it alone. We have to raise up those that are willing to go as well. But for us to get to Cameroon, we need support. We need partners. There's a quote in Africa. It says, if you wish to go far, no, if you wish to go fast, go alone. If you want to go fast, go by yourself. If you want to go far, go together. We need people to go with us, to encourage us along the way. 30 years is a long time. 30 years is longer than I've been alive. I need someone to encourage me and lift me up and to walk with us and to pray with us and to get us through what we're going through in Africa and even here. Coronavirus has destroyed our plans of getting to Africa by August. It cannot happen. We need people to come alongside us and encourage us through these difficult times so that we can get to where we need to be. And together we can see the greatest evangelism the world has ever seen. We can see people reached that have never had a chance. We are in the last days. Time is short. Time is short. There's no greater time than now to reach those in your local community. Your next door neighbor may be called to China. We have to reach out to the people around us because God is calling them. God is inviting us to come. Inviting us to partner with Him in His redemptive plan for mankind set before the foundation of the earth. That He trusts me to go. Certainly, He is calling many of you to go to your neighbor and to even the furthest parts of the earth. I thank you for your time. I thank you for letting us come and to share. We're just super encouraged to come to any church that will allow us to come and speak. Since we're not seasoned missionaries, we haven't been in Africa many times—only short-term trips. But the long-term is what we're going for, and we love it when churches invite us in to let us spend time with them, to share our heart and our passion for missions and discipleship with you. Many churches aren't hearing it at all, so we just—we love you guys. If you have any questions, we'll be—we got a table in the back. You can take some of our information. We'd love to visit with you. Next time we come to Franklin, we'd love to be able to stay in your home, just visit with you. You know, kind of go over what we're doing and what we're going to be doing in Africa as well. We just love you guys and we thank you. Let me pray. Now have the pastor come. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to come and to minister to the people here in Trinity Church. We pray that the word resonates in their hearts and it impacts their minds and it encourages them to reach out to those around them, to push past the fear of rejection, to push past the fear of isolation, to sacrifice even a little bit of time with someone. We pray your Holy Spirit have your way in this place. We've invited you into many parts of our lives and we invite you into this as well. Come and teach us to make disciples again. Teach us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Teach us by Your Holy Spirit, we ask. Be with us as we go, in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Kind of makes you want to be a part of what they're doing. Amen? Amen. Uh, I told you. Jesus is in them. Amen. Amen. Folks, uh, this morning we want to conclude our service with an offering. So uh, I just encourage you guys to do the very best you can. Uh, This young missionary couple needs help, and they're here, and I believe we can help them. Amen. I think we can help them this morning with an offering. And, uh, you know, it's my heartbeat to bring you guys on board as our missionaries. And uh, so we're just going to believe God to make a way for that to happen. What I hear is God is pretty wealthy and God is able to take care of any kind of financial need that we have. And so this morning, instead of doing a normal offering where we pass the plate, I'm going to ask you to prepare your offering now. And whenever we dismiss, just make a trip down here to the front. You can give your normal ties, your normal offerings normal mission offering but please tuck something in for this precious couple and i thought we were going to hear from you mariah not today okay she's got a great testimony as well let's pray over this offering let's pray for them i'm going to ask you all to stand and stretch out your hands towards them Uh, As this precious couple has a long way to go, but I believe God has something very, very special for them. Father, we pray over the Thompsons, Lord. Father, we've seen their heart this morning, Lord. And it reflects your heart, Lord. And Father, we just pray, Lord, as that song says, Lord, you will make a way. The coronavirus, Lord, has thrown a monkey wrench into everything, Lord, but, Father, this is what I believe. I believe you are able to work outside of the confines of what coronaviruses did to this nation and this world. So, Father, we just pray, Lord, that your blessing would be upon them, God, financially, that, Lord, you would meet every need that they have, Lord God. May it rain into their lives, Lord God, your blessing. Father, that they can't contain it, Lord, and I pray, Father, that you would hurry them onto the mission field, Lord, because they need to be there. And I pray over their travels, I pray over their health. Lord, keep them healthy, Father. And I pray over this offering, Lord, that we are about to receive. I pray that you'll bless it, it will meet the needs not only of this local assembly, but Father, that it'll meet the needs of all the missionaries we support, Father God. I pray, Father, that there will never be a shortfall And as always, Lord, I pray this. Help us to focus on what's important. And it's not buildings, Father God. It's not property, but it's people. Help us to ever be about people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you folks. I pray you love on this young couple. Get to know them. They are very, very special. Amen. If you have an offering, you can just come drop it right here in the offering plate. God bless you this morning.